Thank you, Lily. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship today. And as we just heard, here we are to worship. Here we are to bow down and give praise and honor to the one who's deserving of it all. So with that truth and reality in all of our hearts today, welcome. Great to see you all today. Uh, my name is Don Fraze. I serve here as a transitional pastor and I get to welcome all of you. Special welcome to those of you who are guests or visitors with us today. Great to have you here and be a part of our service. Well, over the last few weeks um, that I've been up here doing the welcome, I've, I've reminded you of what special day it is. So today when I, when I was driving here, oh, and I have to say, I, I drive up every Sunday morning from Saskatoon. Oh my goodness, was it a beautiful drive today. I don't think I've ever seen this area more green and so I just pray with all of you, Lord, let it come, more rain, bless this land, good crops, all the beauty that, that rain and abundance brings, I add to all of your prayers that God would bless us in that way. But at this moment, we can be so optimistic, right? Let it come, beautiful. Anyway, lost my train of thought there. Oh, special days. So while I'm driving, I'm listening to the radio and uh, listening to a Christian worship station and they said, today is National Hug Your Cat Day. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, can, can you even hug cats? Like, they usually, like, run when they see you coming. I mean, there are some. Anyway, however, I had to actually listen to the Lutheran Hour or the Catholics to find out what the church calendar says. And maybe you didn't realize this, but today is Trinity Sunday. So many churches across the world today we'll be celebrating Trinity Sunday. And what's exciting about that is that we understand the Trinity to be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what's incredible is that God reveals himself that way to show us that he's a community God and that he's a relational God. And that's the kind of God we serve and the kind of faith we're a part of. So welcome and bless you all on Trinity Sunday. All right, a couple announcements before we, we get back to worship. So next Sunday, June 11th, is our semi-annual meeting. It's an important meeting where we um, affirm leaders for the upcoming year, so we encourage all of you to be a part of that. And after um, the service next Sunday, we will have a lunch. Uh, Women's Ministry is putting that lunch together for us, so thank you for all of you who are doing that. So everyone's invited to stay for lunch, and then the, the meeting will be after that. And I'll just let you know, it won't be a long meeting, but it is an important meeting, so we encourage you to be there. So that's next Sunday. And then two weeks from today is June the 18th, which is Father's Day. But on Father's Day also happens to be our last day of Sunday school for the year. So uh, Jen Judge um, and, uh, oh, I'm blanking here. There we go, Roxy, who lead our children's ministry, um, are planning a special celebration for the end of Sunday school. So there's going to be a picnic. Now, I didn't hear what park it's going to be at. You just all assume you know, but us newbies don't know. What park? Southside, Southside Park. 
and you all know where that is, right? I hope. Google it if you don't. Um, Southside Park, so we're asking everyone to bring a picnic lunch. Um, there's going to be games and stuff planned for the kids, and we all want to hang out together. So make sure that's on your calendar, and we'll have another beautiful day like this, and June the 18th will be an awesome day. So I think that's all the announcements I needed to make. So at this time, I'm going to ask Mabel if she'll come up here. Mabel um, is a part, yeah, come on up. Mabel's a part of our, of our missions uh, leadership with, with Paige. I found out today that you are also known as Rain. Okay, well, you'll have to explain that. Anyway, we have some special guests. Introduce us. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, my name is Mabel Dirksen, as Pastor Don introduced. I'm also known as Rain. So if you're wondering what, my middle <laughs> name is Renuka. That's my Indian middle name. And um, it became a nickname as a child into Rain. And then when I got introduced to Scott's family, I said, well, you can't call me Mabel, because Mabel's my formal name. You have to call me by my middle name. And so Renuka was hard for some members of the family to pronounce, or Renu. So we just went with Rain. I'm Auntie Rain on the side of the family. <laughs> Anyways, that's the story behind Rain. So you can call me Rain if you want. Uh, I might not immediately turn to you because I'm so used to having Mabel as my formal name. So anyways, that's the story behind Rain. Anyways, I am so delighted to introduce to you Doug and Connie Ingalls. Doug and Connie Ingalls are with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and they're going to tell you more about their story. But there's some connections that you're probably wondering about. So Connie is Scott Dirksen, my husband's sister. And furthermore, Connie, back, back in the day, went to Miller College of the Bible. Also, both Doug and Connie, they serve in Thailand. And we have Thailand connections in Bridgeway. We have a couple of missionaries that we financially support in Thailand, Rebecca, as well as Brad and Cassidy. So it's really cool and wonderful to see how God is working in Thailand and the different ways that he's working in Thailand. And they'll be sharing that with you. But I'm going to let them share, but I want to pray for them before they share. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you're the God who loves everyone. And you want to see people come to know the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that each of us have a part in sharing that good news. And we thank you for the people who are willing to go overseas and share that good news. We thank you so much for Doug and Connie. We pray that you will equip them to do the ministry that you have called them to do. That you'll provide them, provide for them in ways that they've never imagined. Mm -hmm. And that you will continue to guide them as they make the word of God available to people who are hungry to hear from you. We thank you for the privilege and honor that you give to us to know you, to read your word, and we pray that you'll bless Connie as well as Doug as they both share. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I have already been so encouraged this morning um, by the worship, by the special music, by what Pastor Don already um, talked about, and um, we are so excited to be here this morning. And you know what my biggest fear was? That... I was going to call Mabel by rain, and you wouldn't know who she was. <laughs> but now you know. <laughs> no, I don't know if that was my biggest fear. But Anyway, we have some good news for you. Today in this world, um, sometimes it's hard to, 
turn on the news and um, hear about or read about good news instead of the other. But we have some good news. Um, my husband Doug and I have been with Wycliffe Bible Translators working in, um, in Chiang Mai, Thailand and the surrounding area since 1996. And we have um, just briefly three children and four grandchildren. They're all in Alberta. And um, we are so happy to be here. And thank you for inviting us this morning to share. Uh, good news. So one of the things that we do when we're in Chiang Mai is um, my husband teaches at uh, Payap University, which is a university that has a linguistics program um, master's level, and he teaches nationals, many just within that area, um, biblical principles of translation and literacy and different aspects of translation work. And then they, as nationals, can go home to their countries in areas where we could never go. But they can go and they can start translation work, literacy work, do survey, just the different aspects that are involved in getting the Bible translated in all these languages. So Doug has like over a hundred of his students have gone out from this program and have started uh, work in these areas and it's just that in itself is good news. Um, this morning I want to talk about specifically about one of these um, students that we recent, we just came back in May, recently Doug was teaching, um, and her name is Charity, and we'll put up, yeah, there she is, yep, Charity, she's the one on the far right. So Charity, um, we're talking about uh, the, the Moken people, this is an area in Myanmar, and Charity is lives in Yangon, the capital, the capital of Myanmar. And um, God has spoke to her in His Word um, about um, what her grandmother has been doing in working with the Moken people. The Moken people are maybe some of you have heard of them. They're sea gypsies. And they live on islands in the Andaman Sea, which is the sea south of Myanmar there in that area. And they are sea gypsies. And they do not have um, access to all the amenities, of course, that we have. And this is their lifestyle. And so Charity's grandmother has been working with them and translating the Bible for them for a number of years. But she's 87 years old. And so she asked um, her granddaughter, Charity, if Charity would be consider like getting more training to um, be able to uh, write the basics of their language so that they can also have literacy materials and um, teach the Moken people how to read and write because they, most of them do not know how to read and write. Um, and so Charity, this petite, shy and unassuming young woman asked, you know, spent time with God and said, God, is this what you want me to do? And God spoke to her very clearly in his word that, yes, this is what um, I, I am calling you to. And she's been sponsored through um, some Wycliffe colleagues to come to Pi Up 
And so we had opportunity to uh, meet her and teach her. And um, she has such a heart for the Moken people. She, like, just like God spoke to her in coming to this program, she wants the Moken people to be able to have the word of God in their language so that God can speak good news into their lives as well and can lead them just the way God led her through, through the word. And that, for charity, that's good news that she wants to share, and it's good news for us to have this opportunity to, um, to train her and so she can go back and do this work. Some more good news is regarding the uh, Comte people. The Comte people are a group of about 15,000. They're all Buddhists. They live in way up in northern Myanmar and cross into northeast India. And uh, there's a small but vibrant church that in 2005 came to us asking for our, our help in getting the, the Bible translated in their language. They, they have a heart for their, their people in reaching out. And so um, they came to us, and we eagerly learned their language and, and started translating the New Testament. Um, next slide. We, I'll introduce you. Okay. So here, I got my slides mixed up, but here is the New Testament. We have finished. We started in 2005. We've had uh, persecution. Um, the, the mother tongue speaker has been uh, persecuted for his faith. And, and by his own people. But after, uh, about, I think this is about two weeks ago, we now have the, the Kamti, the Dai Kamti people, have the Bible um, in their own language on an app right now. We don't have the printed version yet. We'll have the printed version by December, but it's on an app. And so on their phones, they just do this QR code. It's a one-click. I mean, you guys could even use the QR code if you have Android devices and, and just pick it off the screen. And there it is. It downloads with this beautiful script and beautiful translation that we worked arduously on for years and years since 2005. And it has a, a narrated recording. You can see the, the place slip at the bottom. It has a narrated recording so they can hear and read and so it was the, the app was dedicated at Easter time, up, way up in northern Myanmar, and the people are listening to it. Some have listened to it three times, gone through it three times already. Some that don't have phones, we have uh, solar, uh, dedicated solar recorders with this uh, app on it so that it can be charged in the sun, and they, they're passing it around. They're, we're giving them uh, reading groups, learning how to read the, the scriptures, and, and the response of the Bible in their language, of God speaking to the church right now, uh, the people that are believers already, like 80 of them, that's out of all 15,000, there's about 80 that are, are uh, believers, but they have a heart for their people, and they are planning to take these mobile apps, take these solar recorders out into the into the Comte community and, and disciple, uh, evangelize, disciple. Uh, Paul Munhan, the next slide, I think. Um, oh, okay. Paul Munhan is the mother tongue translator, and he's dedicated his time with myself and a, and a team to get this translation accurate and clear and natural so that when people hear it, they, they feel God in their hearts. And, um, and Paul himself was put in prison 
for this. Way back in 2005, by his own people, up in, in his house arrest by his father's, in his father's own house. His father was a revered Buddhist uh, leader among these people, and, and they, but Paul became a Christian, and they, the people did not like that. They, they put him on house arrest, and they threatened his life. So at that time, Paul, this is 2006, Paul said, okay, I won't, I won't be preaching the gospel anymore. But he de dedicated himself to literacy and to Bible translation with us for over those years to get the Bible out. Now, we are saying that the Bible for the, the thy comfy people has been unshackled because it's free now from Paul's physical presence. It's free now just to go out in, on, on Bible apps. It's free to go out on the YouTube. Paul's going to start giving messages from the, from the uh, comfy scriptures on YouTube. He's going to work with uh, Far East Broadcasting Company to get it out on radio. So the, the Bible, the comfy Bible, the Bible in the comfy language is un, unfettered. It's un, unleashed. It's unchained. Just like Paul was a prisoner. The Bible was sort of a prisoner in, in a symbolic way with, with Paul until we could get it translated. And now Paul is free with this. We are free. The, the, the word, Jesus Christ, the Logos, is free to just go everywhere now, unshackled in the, in the comfy. And so that's good news, and we rejoice. And I want to just close with one of the best, one, one of the most significant missions verses in the Bible. And it is Isaiah 42, and it's familiar, but it starts with the nations, God, well, God creating the world, and then it kind of hones in, and then it goes back to the world. So uh, Isaiah 42, starting in verse 5, this is what God the Lord says. This is the Bible unleashed to you guys, right? It's unleashed to the comfy people. You can just read it. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people, that's people of the world, the nations, and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, verse 6, have called you in righteousness. Who's the you? Well, in, in Isaiah, this is the nation Israel. I've called you among the nations to be a, a light. Well, in the New Testament, it's Jesus Christ who came as man, suffered and died, rose again, and with the power of the resurrection, releases the Logos to the world. So it's the Jews, then it's Jesus through the Jews, and then it's you guys, the church through Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing how it funnels down to us? But now it doesn't stay there. It doesn't just stay with the comfy church or the Moken people when we get the Bible to them. It leashes out again to the whole nations. And so here's the clincher. And this is what Jesus used in his own ministry to launch his own ministry. So I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. A light for the nations, going back out to the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, Paul Munhan, and to release the dungeon, to release, sorry, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And one of the 
this quote is from one of the, the company believers who was starting to listen to the Bible. Whenever I listen or read the Bible in our own language, I feel happy and courageous. You've got to be courageous amongst Buddhist people because it's severe persecution. I feel happy and courageous because we, thy kumti, have come to the light from the dark. Thank you for your prayers and support in our ministry. Please stand with us again.
As you see from the screen, kids, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Thank you so much, Doug and Connie. It was great to hear from you and hear the incredible good news of, uh, of what God is doing and, and how His Word is going forth. You know, and as I thought about how, uh, you know, you declared so beautifully to us the power of God's Word to transform lives. And then we're singing about the Spirit and just how Jesus said a time will come when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And when we have the Word of God and the power of the Spirit fanning it into flame, it's a beautiful thing. So thanks be to God for ministering to us already this morning. Wow, we, we made some pretty bold declarations in that last song. Make you feel a bit uncomfortable? Do you believe that miracles can happen? Or are we just nicely singing words of, oh, the Spirit's here, isn't that nice? Wow, if that's true, that's pretty exciting stuff. Can the Spirit of God transform our lives, no matter how cynical we're feeling today, no matter how crappy of a week you had, is the Spirit of God powerful enough to touch our lives today? Well, we believe that by faith, don't we? And that's why we pray, so... Let's pray, and then we'll get into the message today. So, Lord, thank you for how we've been challenged already this morning. Thank you for your word, and that your word is powerfully going out around the world. And, Lord, we just pray with uh, the millions of Christians around the world. And, Lord, we continue to pray for our lost world. And, Lord, we thank you for Wycliffe Bible Translators and other ministries that are bringing and translating your word. Lord, I just pray that you would fan that movement into flame, and Lord, that every language and every person on the face of the earth would have the opportunity to read and know you, God, through your word. And so we would just ask and pray that together. Lord, thank you that we can be worshipers of you and that you call us to be worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. And so Lord, as we've declared through song today, we acknowledge your presence here today. And we pray together, Holy Spirit, fall upon us afresh and anew. We desperately need you. And Lord, I pray that you will open up your word to us today. I pray, Spirit, that you will move in such a way that even though you have to use my words, Lord, you can even go through that to speak by your power to people's lives. And so, Lord, I just pray a release of your truth, of your grace, of your mercy, of your power over your people today. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, we did three weeks on spiritual gifts. And you're going, good, we're finally done. <laughs> well, I thought that we needed one more week 
to address a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. And where I want to go a little bit in this message today is to help us perhaps understand and clear up something that's often misunderstood, and that is, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? So, we're going to get there, but we're going to kind of go around on the journey there. So, put that on hold for a moment. But here's my opening question for you today. So, how do you feel or what comes to mind when you hear the word power? Power. Now, maybe for some of you, like I thought initially, like, well, power is a pretty good thing. I mean, every time I turn on a switch, I get light. I turn on a tap, I get hot water. My devices work and connect to the internet. So there's a side of power that's really, really good. Now, maybe for some of you, though, when you hear that word power, maybe the first thing that comes to mind is how power is misused in our world everywhere, right? We can think about governments. We can think about systems. We can think about how power has been abused over the centuries and continues today. You know, sometimes we think about um, power being abused in our country, and for sure it does. You know, with having guests today from across the world, so many countries that we haven't got a clue about what it means to live in a country that has abusive and mis the misuse of power in order to enslave people and endanger people and control people. So when you think about power in that way, maybe for many of you, I know it did for me when I think about it, sometimes that word can just kind of give you a sick feeling in your stomach when power is abused. We also, when we think about power, maybe you think about spiritual power. And even there, it can be like, well, what do we do with that, right? So even the verse that you see on the screen from Zechariah, when God declares that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. So God's power is something that we long for and trust, but God's power is also something very mysterious and sometimes maybe even a bit scary. So, I don't know how you feel or how you think about power today, but power is actually a very important word when you talk about the Holy Spirit. In fact, power cannot be inherently bad since it's used by key New Testament authors to actually name the Holy Spirit. In fact, New Testament authors Dr. Luke, as well as the Apostle Paul, in their writings use, and go to the next uh, slide here, they use the ancient Greek word dynamis to describe the dynamis or the power of the Holy Spirit. So you see um, on one side of the screen, you see you see. Dr. Luke and giving us Jesus' words just before Jesus went up to heaven. And they're great words for today with Mission Sunday. But Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with dynamis, with power from on high. So Jesus told his followers after he rose from the dead, wait here because you're going to be clothed in power. And then he says a similar thing in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to the nations around you and to the ends of the earth. And so Luke talks about power in that way. And then Paul in his letters, and you see Romans and 1 Corinthians there. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then 1 Corinthians 2, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, 
but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So, as you consider the importance of power in connection to the Holy Spirit. Now, last Sunday was Pentecost, so we went to Acts 2 a little bit, but a little later, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2, which is the story or the account of that first Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples who were waiting. Those verses you read there. They were waiting and they were praying for this mystery that Jesus kept talking about. In fact, what's always so fascinating to me is that when Jesus walked the earth with his disciples, he said to them, you know what, it's actually better for you if I go. I always scratch my head at that because I'm like, what could be better than getting to hang out with Jesus? And Jesus said, it's better if I go because when I go, the Father is going to send the Advocate, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and everything is going to change. And that's what I hope we can see today, even as we're going to get to what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is that Pentecost Sunday, Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit in power, it changed everything. When the church was born in Acts chapter 2, everything changed. Two key things that I would suggest to you were the main changes. Number one, God's presence went from external to internal. Now, if you've been brought up in the Christian faith, that is an idea that you just kind of go, yeah, whatever. I pray the prayer and ask Jesus to come into my heart, and so God is in me. Isn't that great? This is radical. For centuries, God was external and distant, and you had to go to key places to worship him. God was not accessible. When the Holy Spirit came, this crazy thing happened. God came inside his creation. That is an absolute mystery and miracle and is something that probably should make us jump for joy a couple times every day. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus means that God's spirit lives within us. You don't go and find God anymore. He wants to dwell and live within us. When the Holy Spirit fell that day, that changed everything. One of my favorite scriptures is an Old Testament passage where Jeremiah predicts this. You see it on the screen there. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, where I will make a new covenant. Next slide. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to say or to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. This would have been an outstanding, incredibly impossible idea to the ancient mind. The fact that God would make a new covenant and that this new covenant would be that he would write his law, write his will, write who he is on your heart, on your mind, that God would live in you and indwell you. Everyone would know the Lord based on that new covenant. Incredible, radical change that Jesus brought and then 
was fully accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God's Spirit living within us. Game changer for our faith. And so, along with the going from external to now, God's Spirit living within us is the source of power to live out this thing called the Christian life. We were never intended to live it by our effort, by our strength, by our faith, by our best intentions or hard work ethic. No, we were intended to live the Christian life because God's presence and spirit is within us and he empowers us. He gives us power to live it out. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. So we're going to go there in a moment. But remember, we're going to ask today, what is being baptized by the Holy Spirit? I'm going to suggest to you now that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a miracle of God's presence and a miracle of power in the life of the believer. So, let's go to Acts chapter 2 now and talk about that first power encounter with God's Holy Spirit. So, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And then it lists all the different languages that would have been at the gathering that day, and there were many. And then at the end, verse 12 says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, well, they've had too much wine. Now, as I looked at this, at this passage afresh and anew this last week, I'd ask myself a question that I'm going to pose to all of you. Are we the amazed and curious voice, or are we the cynical voice? When it comes to the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in God's church and in God's people, are we the cynical voice, or are we the amazed and curious voice? Hmm. How do you respond to a situation that you might call, and we'll all call it by different things, but a situation you're in where you can just really sense the power of the Spirit moving. Have any of you been in, in a situation where you've been in a place where the power of God, the Spirit of God was moving on people, and they started to manifest the Spirit in some kind of weird ways? Perhaps people speaking in tongues, or people crying out, or people falling. So when, I, when you hear me say that, how do you react? I would sense that some of you would go, well, I would never go to such a crazy meeting as that, because I think that that's all a bunch of, pardon the language, but spiritual BS. Others of you have gone, hmm, I've been in situations like that, and they've been really uncomfortable, but there's been some real evidence that what was happening was real. So what do we do with that? Have you ever thought about in this passage why they accused them of being drunk? Now, it could just simply be because they were so um, 
aggressive or joyful or excited or whatever in how they were going around speaking the good news of Jesus in various languages and all the chaos with that. And so the cynical people would have got, oh, they're just all joyous and happy and doing whatever the thing because they're drunk. So it could be that simple, or it could be that maybe it was just a way more emotionally and spiritually and chaotically charged than we can imagine, and perhaps it was a legit observation in terms of what it would have looked like. All I'm trying to say by that is, is we can have so many preconceived ideas to things that perhaps we can fall into the ditches, and you hear me use this illustration a lot. You see the quote above that, where uh, this is the NIV commentary says this, beware of both charismania, an overemphasis on charismatic gifts, and charisphobia, a fear of charismatic gifts. And always ask ask ourselves this question, do I have all that God wishes for me to enjoy? We must leave it to God to give us what gifts he desires for us. You know, I find in this journey of manifestations of the Spirit or what the the baptism of the Holy Spirit means or the coming or the falling of the Holy Spirit, lots of different terminology. But I find that often in us more conservative evangelical Mennonite circles, whatever you want to call them, that um, we, we have to look at the danger of not going into the ditches. And that's kind of what this quote's about. Again, not this charismania that is kind of an uncontrolled obsession with spiritual gifts, but also not a fear. And I find sometimes we struggle more with that. Because we don't understand, because sometimes things make us uncomfortable, because sometimes we even feel the accusation of others that if we don't act or perform in a certain way, maybe we're not really filled with the Spirit. Perhaps you've experienced some of those times. There can also then be a real negative reaction. And so anything that smells or even slightly looks somewhat charismatic, right away freaks us out and, well, that can't be of God because that's just too weird, makes me too uncomfortable. Maybe we do need to be extremely discerning, but I just want to caution us today not to write it all off because there's a way more mystery to what happens when the Holy Spirit falls on people than we know. And our own personal experience is not the final authority. Sorry about that, but it's not. It would be the word of God, and it would be the collective experience of his followers all through history and even today. And so we need to stay humble, but I would encourage us, us to stay open. So, lots, lots we could say about that. But here's something that's important to me that I fall on all the time. I remember in my young years of just really trying to wrestle through all of this, you know, like speaking in tongues and all these crazy charismatic gifts and what do we do, do with them, you know? And, and I had charismatic friends and I often felt from them like, you know, like I only was a sort of Christian because I wasn't like them and, and just all of the debates we would have had over how the spirit works and... Well, anyway, so I did this study of Acts where I wanted to look up every time that the Holy Spirit falls on people, what happened? So I encourage you to do this. Do this as a chart. Every time the Holy Spirit falls on different groups of people, do they always speak in tongues every time that happens? Actually, the answer is no. Just a few times they do. There's often other manifestations of the Spirit that happen when the Holy Spirit falls. But there is one common thing in every experience of the Holy Spirit falling on people. And that is boldness. 
So it's kind of been my line for a number of years where I, where I say, the number one manifestation of the Holy Spirit is boldness. The power of the Spirit to give us boldness to declare the gospel, to speak the gospel. The power and the boldness, that's the manifestation. It's not to have an experience of something so that we can go, oh, look how spiritual I am. But it's actually to be filled with a boldness to share the gospel. I mean, the greatest example is Peter in this text. It wasn't too long ago that Peter denied Christ and swore up and down that he never knew him and had that kind of fear because everything was falling apart around him. And yet, not that long later, the Holy Spirit falls on Peter, and all of a sudden, Peter is willing to stand up in front of thousands, declare his faith, and be willing to be beaten, go to prison, or have anything happen to him now because something had changed. It's because Peter was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and he went from fear to courage. He went from fear to boldness because the number one manifestation of the Holy Spirit is boldness. Okay, seen my quote already. So, still priming the pump here. So what then is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? So, have any of you had anyone ever say to you, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I've seen some nods. Yeah, I have too. Now, the reason that some Christians might ask you if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit is because in the more charismatic or Pentecostal side of the church, their their understanding or interpretation of Scripture would be that someone becomes a Christian, so they have their conversion experience, but then later they will have a second experience, what's sometimes called the second blessing, or sometimes they, they would refer to it as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, You have a second experience where the Holy Spirit falls on you, and generally speaking, you speak in tongues. Now, again, this will differ from group to group, but some charismatic groups will say that if you don't speak in tongues, you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. That That is the ultimate evidence and sign that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Some will say, well, maybe others too, but there has to be some kind of second impartation or filling for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So that would be why... If you've had some friends from that, that line of thinking or interpretation, they would ask you, have you been baptized in the Spirit? Because that would be a very normal question to them. And you can say, well, no, I'm a Christian. I believe. I've come to faith in Christ. I've been baptized. No, but have you been baptized in the Spirit? Hmm. What do you do with that? I always kind of chuckle a little bit because, well, I should be careful in saying this, but like you're, there, there's churches that are called the full gospel, You know why they call themselves that? Because they truly believe that they have the full gospel. So I kind of jokingly say that, you know, I attend, uh, you know, closed Bible, half gospel Mennonite church. (laughs) Sorry, that's just my own dumb joke I make about the churches in Swift Current. But anyway, I'm just saying that's where it's coming from. So, now, what do we do with that? Now, what I'm going to show you now is um, some some teaching from Article 1 of the Mennonite Brethren Confession of Faith. So if you're new or visiting today, we are a Mennonite Brethren Church, and in our confession, this is what we would say about the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit. So I'll read it for you. Baptism by the Spirit 
is the experience of every believer at conversion and is symbolized by water baptism. It is a one-time experience. Romans 8, 9 to 11 teaches that if one does not have the Spirit of Christ, one does not belong to Christ. According to Mennonite Brethren interpretation, the Scriptures do not instruct that a dramatic, emotional, post-conversion experience is needed to live a full Christian life. So, there you have it, right from denominational headquarters, this would be our, our stand on this issue. Now, on one hand, I'm sure there's many of you that are very relieved because you thought, I don't know where this Don guy's going, but maybe he's thinking we need to be more charismatic or Pentecostal here. Well, actually, I do think that, but that's okay. <laughs> that's what's beauty about being a transitional pastor. You're getting rid of me anyway, so if you don't like what I say, you're booting me soon, so it's all good. But no, I do agree with this. I am thankful, though, that they've said in that last line there is needed. Because here's where I think we need to be careful. I think that God's Spirit works very uniquely in all of us because we are all very unique creations. Now, I do agree that when someone comes to faith in Christ, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit because you are not a Christian if you are not born of the Spirit. If the Spirit does not enter you, you can't be a Christian. That's what being a Christian is, is that you are born of the Spirit. So I do agree that technically the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit fills you when you confess or profess faith. And that's what our, our denomination would teach. And so, of course, then when we do water baptism, which really, and this is something that's kind of sad in the evangelical church, we've separated conversion and baptism way too far. And baptism is supposed to be something that happens very soon after coming to faith in Christ because it's kind of like the symbol of your baptism in the Spirit. You're, you're becoming born again, becoming a Christian. Baptism was always meant to be a birth announcement. We have made it into a graduation certificate. That's not what it was meant to be. It was meant to be a birth announcement, the symbol of our faith in Christ. So I, I do agree with that very much. But I also know, both from Scripture, I would suggest, as well as from experience, personally and with many people, that lots of people have second, third, fourth, or name the number, of experiences with the Holy Spirit that are powerful and life-changing beyond their conversion experience. In fact, I could share my testimony I became a Christian as a very young child, and I believe that my confession of faith and childlike faith was real. I don't doubt it or question it for a moment. But I can also tell you of, of the time when I was a young adult that I would call a baptism of the Holy Spirit moment, when the Spirit came upon me in such a powerful way that everything changed in my life in terms of going from fear to boldness. And I could tell you that whole story. But again, that is just my experience. But I know many others that, that would have similar experiences. I guess all I want to say by this is, let's respect the fact that all of us as followers of Jesus can have different journeys. And that what's most important, though, is that the Holy Spirit continues to fill us. Now again, theologically, I would line up with this to say, Officially, you are baptized by the Spirit when you come to faith in Christ. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
But Scripture does tell us to continually be filled, be filled with the Holy Spirit, ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. So what's the problem here? Do we kind of run out of Holy Spirit? Is it kind of like filling yourself with gas and, and we just kind of burn up the Holy Spirit and so therefore we need to be filled again? Well, I'm not sure that it's the Holy Spirit's problem that we need to continually be filled. I think it might be us fallible humans. Now, I don't know if this is good theology or not, but I just remember one pastor saying, and I had a good laugh about it, but he said, you know, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. We're the problem because we leak. (laughs) I don't know if that's good theology, but I think it's kind of true. I think in our sinful humanity, we leak, and we need to be continually filled. Now, does that mean that God's Spirit departs from us? No, I don't believe that. I believe that when you are born again, when you are baptized in the Spirit, God's presence, he takes up residence. However, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, so we need to be continually filled, and that can happen in so many ways. So, I feel like maybe I've confused you more than I've helped you, but there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, to conclude this today, we've talked a bit about the Holy Spirit as power, and I started with this miracle of presence. And I just want to show you, show you two more scriptures going back to Acts. They're on the next screen there, Dave. So in Acts chapter 2, once Peter gets up and starts to speak and tell the people, nope, these crazy people you see speaking all these languages, they're not drunk, it's nine in the morning. Um, they are actually proclaiming God's word, and guess what? It's based on the prophets of old. And then he quotes in Acts 2 here, uh, Joel chapter 2. So it says in verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And then verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Isn't that incredible? And Peter was saying to this mass group of people, this is fulfilled today. What you are seeing, all of this craziness that you don't understand, this is being fulfilled in front of you. That God's presence is now available to all. But you've got to understand how radical of an idea that is. The Jews for centuries had been convinced that God was for them. Yahweh is for us. The Old Testament prophets, like you heard earlier, said, you're to be a light to the nations. But they were like, no, we'd rather keep God to ourselves. And that was never God's harder plan. And so when Jesus comes and turns everything upside down, and then the Holy Spirit pours out and says, this message is for all, and brings up Joel and other prophecies to say, this was always God's heart and intent, but now it's before you. Because of God's Holy Spirit filling us and empowering us, now being a light to the nations will be empowered and that this message is for all, for all. You see, in those days, we are very divided today. There are many, many barriers today in our country and even more in other countries. But in these ancient times, the barriers were even stronger. And so this was absolute radical. Look what Paul says in Galatians. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Now again, we read this and we go, well, isn't that nice? We're all one in Christ. This was radical for them. In a society where women were basically treated as property, Christianity said, no, you are equal, you are one in Christ. Where slaves were nothing, they would go to a gathering where their master's there, and now master and slave are one in Christ, brothers. All of the barriers that were in culture were to be broken down by this beautiful, wonderful, supernatural movement called Christianity, empowered by God's Holy Spirit, who now wants to live in all people. This was radical, radical. You know, Christianity, the church, became the most inclusive community in all of culture. The Romans and the Greeks often resented the church because they had all of their hierarchical structures, from how women were treated to how slaves were treated to where people who weren't citizens were treated. There were so many layers and barriers that kept them in power and kept them strong. And then this radical movement would dare to say, that everyone's equal, that everyone is one in Christ because we have a new identity, an identity that is not based on the things of this world, but an identity that is based on the spirit of who we are in Christ. It's so radical and it needs to keep changing the world today. You see, in that moment, because of the presence of God's Holy Spirit, there is no more gender. Your sons and daughters, your men and women will prophesy and receive the spirit There is no more male and female. That's over. Ageism is over. Young and old. I don't care how young you are or how old you are, you are not done in being the body part you need to be in this church family. All of you are incredibly valuable because there is no ageism in the kingdom of God. We are all one in Christ. We are all a body part. And you are valued and needed regardless of your age. There is no ageism. There's no gender. There's no class. Slave and free. No matter what we think about class even in our day, that is not a Christian value. There is no race. There is no ethnicity. Our identity is in Christ. That's the miracle of Pentecost. That's the miracle that God is no longer external, but he's internal. His presence lives within us, and we are empowered now by God's presence to live this Christian life and to live it together with a new identity in in a Christian equality that is beautiful and amazing because it's God's breathed. And that, my wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ, is my big heart cry. And if you're saying, yeah, Don, we've kind of heard you rant on this a few times in your last year here. Well, probably true because it's so close to my heart that we understand God's heart for us. And Bridgeway Community Church, my heart grieves at times because the enemy so much wants to divide you, wants to pit you against each other, wants to have you mistrust each other, wants to have barriers be set up again. Can I ask you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to fight that and to walk as family? Can I ask you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to go to each other when you have problems, when you have questions? Have your convictions, amen. But rather than judging people from afar, if you have issues, talk to them. 
They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no, not supposed to be barriers. We are supposed to be the body of Christ that walks together in unity and power. And I keep looking at this church and going, wow, there is so much potential here. There are so many gifts here. You are a gifted people. You understand some things about intergenerational and working together as a church family that is so beautiful and I think empowering for your community. Continue in that. Be the church that God has called you to be. Be the body part. Don't give up on finding out what your spiritual gifts are. Even if you were sick of hearing me talk about it for three weeks, don't give up and just go, oh, well, that was a good thought. I'll just go back to normal. No. Find what your spiritual gift is and engage in it. Because every one of you is so valuable. And if you're not using your gift, it's like the body has a part that isn't functioning. And the body needs every part. And again, there's no class. There's no up and down or more important or less important. No, every body part is essential. Every body part is filled with the Holy Spirit to make the church the church. And that, my beloved sisters and brothers in Christ here at Bridgeway, It's my heart for you. I believe passionately it's God's heart for you. Let's walk that way. What does the Spirit have for us? Be filled with the Spirit. Walk in your baptism. Walk in the power and celebrate the presence. The miracle of the presence that God is in us. In you. Wow. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you were willing to become human and dwell among us and then lay down your life. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that in doing that, you provided forgiveness, you defeated death, and you've given us hope. Oh, Jesus. And Jesus, thank you that when you left, the Father sent the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Spirit of God. We acknowledge your presence here. And we say thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you are present here in the lives of everyone here who professes Christ. And I pray that that unity of the Spirit would just pour out in power over us today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come afresh and anew and continually fill each one here. Each one of us crying out to you, fill us, Holy Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will teach and reveal to each person here what their spiritual gift is. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will fall on them with boldness. I pray for boldness in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The boldness of the Spirit for you to be who God has called you to be, for you to operate in the gift that he has given you, and for the gospel, this good news, to come out of your mouth and come out of your life in powerful ways. Oh, Lord, I pray that your heart and your calling for Bridgeway Community Church, we together just pray and fan it into flame in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that this church would rise up and be a church in the Swift Current area community that you've called it to be. And we pray that in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In response today, we're going to come to the table, come to the communion table. So I'm going to ask the, the worship team and our servers if they'll, if they'll come, and, come and get ready. Earlier in the message, I read from Jeremiah 
where he said there's going to be a new covenant. A new covenant. Do you remember when Jesus, when he initiated the first Lord's Supper, the first communion, the scripture says that he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my name. Do this in remembrance of me. That new covenant, that new promise, that new plan, that's forgiveness. That's death is defeated. That is we can be forgiven and be whole in Jesus because of his sacrifice. So when you come and take that cup today, know that you are symbolically holding the new covenant, the new promise that you can be forgiven and restored and empowered as a follower of Jesus. At that same meal, Jesus also took the bread and he broke it. And then he said, this is my body given to you. Talk about presence. Talk about the picture of Jesus, the bread of life, saying, come and eat of me. When you come today and take the bread, symbolically you are taking in the life of Jesus, his very life in you. So that's why I call communion a celebration. Yes, it's a time to remember. Yes, it's a time to repent. Yes, it's a time to get our heart and our life right and our relationships right. Do that work before you come. But ultimately, it's a celebration because it's about a new covenant and it's about new life in Christ. That's his heart for you. This is his sustenance for you. So come to the table. How we do it here, we'll have you just line up in, the, in the each aisle here and come and you will be served at the table. So I'll ask you to come forward. We'll also have someone that will come and serve you if for personal reasons you're not able to come forward. We'd be happy to do that. And just to let you know too this morning, the gluten-free bread is in the middle. So if you need that, please come to this station because the other bread that is at the main tables are not. So I will pray over the elements. The worship team will lead us in worship. And then we invite you, come to the table. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your body given to us. May we do this in remembrance of you. May your life fill each one today. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cup. Thank you for the new covenant in your blood. Thank you for the hope and the promise of forgiveness. And I pray that each one here today will receive the forgiveness and the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, move among us. May we make our hearts and our relationships around us right. And then come to the table in freedom and celebration to receive from you. So this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come. Have you come to the end?
behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born.
So as we go from this place today, I invite you to take that story and let it be your life and your song to all you meet. So know the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit who longs to fill you. Your Father who loves you so deeply. That's his heart and his will for you. So go in peace and have a great rest of your week ahead. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.